Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 1 When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and shall cast out many nations before thee, the Hittite, and the Girgashite, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. 2. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them up before thee, and thou shalt smite them, then thou shalt utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. This is Moses still giving his speech to the people, and he's prophesying and telling them that they're going to wipe out seven pagan nations, and that they are not to make any kind of alliance or show any mercy to them. And that's because if they do, they're going to end up committing the same sins that those pagans committed because those pagans are going to teach them the same witchcraft and worship of demons and diabolical practices toward each other. And they're going to end up falling into the same sins. So he's warning them ahead of time. You have to wipe out the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites because all of them will lead you to hell. They'll lead you to hell if you don't destroy them and fully get rid of them. And we all know this to be true, that sometimes sin is so ingrained in a person's life that they spread it to others. When you are close to that person, they'll drag you into their sin. You won't convert them, they'll convert you. Some people have so much demonic oppression that you just need to stay away from them. You can pray for them, you can tell them the gospel once, but after that, just get away. They're not to marry any of their women. They're not to make any alliances or compromises with them, not even allow any of them to live. 3. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. 4. For he will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and he will destroy thee quickly. Non-Christians would argue, how dare God kill children? Because obviously children are going to die. Only God knows the hearts of people. We can't judge if a child or an adult is innocent. Only God really knows. There is a Bible verse that says that he judges us by what we know. If the only thing you've ever known is pagan worship and you've never been taught about God, which would be true of a lot of these kids, they're only going to get judged by their conscience. God gave everybody a conscience and he showed everybody through nature who he is and that he is our God. You don't need anybody to tell you that there's a God. You know just by looking at nature, even if you were the only one on the planet and no one ever spoke to you, you would know in your heart that there is a God because somebody had to create you and create the birds and everything else. The Bible tells us that nature is God's witness and no one has an excuse for not humbling themselves before their creator. The Bible also tells us that everybody has a conscience. So even if you've been taught lies your entire life, you still have your conscience intact. And deep down, you still know right from wrong. Even if your whole community is into child sacrifice, you know in your heart that it's wrong. And even though there are temple prostitutes in your community, you still know in your heart that what they're doing is perverted and evil. That's what people get judged by if they've never heard the gospel. They get judged by their conscience and by the fact that we all have this inner knowledge that we aren't God and we didn't create this world, which means somebody else did. 
God has a plan for everybody. So I'm sure that not all of the kids went to hell because some of them didn't know any better. Some of them were following their conscience in spite of the evil of the generation that they lived in. Only God can judge and only he knows. 5. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall break down their altars, and dash in pieces their pillars, and hew down their asherim, and burn their graven images with fire. The asherim are the poles. We have them today, and they're called obelisks. They represent the phallus, which is a sexual organ. God wanted those poles taken down because they're all pagan sexual ornaments. The graven images would be the images they made of animals that they worshipped. And, of course, the altars would be the altars that they had in the high places where they sacrificed their children. And God wants all of that destroyed so that there's no reverence toward it, so that those altars are totally defiled, because they're to demons. 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be his own treasure out of all peoples that are upon the face of the earth. Now that doesn't mean that God only loves the Israelites, God loves everybody, but they are his special treasure to be a witness to the world. And that's why the whole Bible centers around what happens with the Israelites, because they are a sign to the entire world of God's covenant, his peace, his presence, his plan for all of our lives. When we look to the history of the Israelites, we learn about God and we learn salvation. 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all peoples. 8. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. God is saying, you're not chosen because you're great. You were actually chosen because of your weakness to magnify me and make me great. When Christians think that they're so special because they're chosen, that's really arrogant. We're not chosen because of anything in us. We're chosen because God is awesome and beautiful and amazing and perfect, not because we are. God loves me because God is love, not because I am worthy of that. But he chooses to love me because that's his character. It's not a reflection of who I am because I'm just like everybody else. I'm not special in regard to other people. It's God who is special. This is a mistake that a lot of Christians make is they think that they're special because God loves them. The reality is God loves us because God is special. There's a lot of talk these days about I am this and I am that, and that's really demonic talk. A lot of churches will chant these mantras, I am loved, I am special, and they'll try to teach you, you need to know who you are in Jesus Christ. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that we need to know who Jesus Christ is. Our identity is in him, but it's all about him. It's not about us. 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful one, who keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He is the faithful one. We aren't special, he is. 10. And repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. If you hate the Lord, and you'll know you hate him because you hate his laws, and you hate other people. And if you don't rely on Jesus for everything, you hate God. Because anyone who disrespects the Son does not love the Father. Those who hate God, he will confront them to their face, and that is a very scary prospect. So we don't want that. 
11. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandment and the statutes and the ordinances which I command thee this day to do them. 12. And it shall come to pass, because ye hearken to these ordinances, and keep, and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep with thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. With every promise comes an if. God's love is unconditional, but his promises are always conditional. And this is so true in the Bible. In churches, they want to tell you, oh, God has promised you all these things. Well, with every promise in the Bible is an if, if you obey. You always have to obey or you don't receive that promise. We need to understand that, that we don't get promises for nothing. 13. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land. That means they'll have children and they'll have crops. Thy corn and thy wine and thy oil, the increase of thine kine, which is cows, and the young of thy flock in the land which he swore unto thy fathers to give thee. Moses is saying, if you obey the Lord, you will be prosperous. The land will flourish, your cattle will flourish, your families will flourish and increase. 14. Thou shalt be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Nobody will be unable to conceive. This is one of the blessings of God is conception. When his people obey him, they can have children. But when there's sin, then you'll have fertility problems. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who has fertility problems, it's a direct result of sin. But sin in general causes fertility problems within a nation. That's why the USA has fertility problems, because of all of our sin. 15. And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness, and he will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Sin does cause diseases. Maybe not all diseases, but we know that a lot of sexual diseases are transmitted through sexual perversion, which includes fornication, adultery, and all other kinds of perverted things. But fornication itself is perversion. And that's one of the reasons why we have so many sexual diseases in our society. 16. And thou shalt consume all the peoples that the Lord thy God shall deliver unto thee. Thine eyes shall not pity them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. He says you need to fully conquer these nations. Don't mingle and incorporate yourself. Don't adopt their culture. A lot of times churches want to adopt the culture of their city or their community to to fit in and to try to make people want to go to their church, and that is not the correct approach. What God tells us is to remain pure and holy and only honor and obey Him, not to obey and follow every little dictate of our culture. 17. If thou shalt say in thy heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? 18. Thou shalt not be afraid of them. Thou shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Don't forget what happened in Egypt. If God can conquer this big, powerful Pharaoh and his whole land, we don't have to fear what the people around us are doing and do it just to fit in. We can keep obeying the Lord and practicing his law only. Now, later on, when we get to the book of Daniel, we're going to read how Daniel refused to obey the cultural laws because it would have offended God. And they actually put him in a pit with lions so that the lions would eat him. And God saved his life. So we don't need to fear anything that might happen to us if we don't do something that we're expected to do. If it's against God's will, we don't do it. We can be brave like Daniel 
and maybe they'll put us in a den of lions, but God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we still obey him. Just like Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we believe the Lord will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to follow the false gods. We're still only going to follow the one true God. 19. The great trials which thine eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm, whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the peoples of whom thou art afraid. Moses is saying, just as he took you out of Egypt, he will enable you to conquer all the lands in Canaan, and conquer all of those pagan peoples. 20. Moreover, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them until they that are left and they that hide themselves perish from before thee. The Lord is actually going to drive a lot of them out by hornets, which is pretty amazing. The hornets will swarm these cities and make a lot of these people leave before the Israelites even arrive, so they won't have to fight as many people. God can do that for you with any demons that want to harass your life, because believe me, demons will want to harass you. If you're a Christian following the Lord, they're going to want to send accidents your way, work drama, family drama, sickness. The demons will try to attack you, but the Lord can send his angels to swarm those demons and conquer them in their tracks before they have a chance to harm you. 21. Thou shalt not be affrighted of them, for the Lord thy God is in the midst of thee, a God great and awful. Awful means awe-inspiring and terrifying in that sense. God makes your enemy's jaw drop. 22. And the Lord thy God will cast out those nations before thee by little and little. Thou mayest not consume them quickly, lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee. He's going to move the Israelites in at a pace that's conducive to allowing them to take over the territory and the cities. He's not going to have the pagans leave too far ahead of him because then the animals will take over the cities. And so he's going to make it happen little by little so that the animals don't creep in to abandoned cities. As you're growing in the Lord, it's little by little. As you take over that territory of your soul, it won't happen all overnight, partly because you don't know how to live when you first get born again. You've been living sinfully for so long, you don't know how to live right. So God teaches you step by step how to live right, how to walk with confidence in the Lord, how to know Him, how to understand what direction you should be going. It takes a little bit of time to learn these things. 23. But the Lord thy God shall deliver them up before thee, and shall discomfit them with great discomfiture, until they be destroyed. He's going to make the pagans miserable, until they've left the land. 24. And he shall deliver their kings into thy hand, and thou shalt make their names to perish from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand against thee, until thou have destroyed them. They have to kill the kings, because if they don't kill the kings and their families, then somebody from their family will come back and try to reclaim those cities and those areas. So they have to annihilate the kings. And you can think of that as annihilating a demon that has a stronghold in your life, like a frame of mind that's very demonic. For instance, if you always think that people are out to get you, that's a demonic stronghold that creates a huge barrier in your life that prevents you from growing because you're so suspicious of other people that you obsess about your suspicions rather than learning to love people and learning to obey the Lord. 
we can think of these kings in this passage as the enemy's strongholds in our mind. Those need to be destroyed completely so that we can move forward with the Lord. 25. The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. He said, whatever valuables they've used to build idols, you don't want to touch that because it's defiled. Don't lust for the silver and gold that was used for idols. Destroy it. 26. And thou shalt not bring an abomination into thy house and be accursed like unto it. Thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a devoted thing. Things that are rooted in wickedness, we don't want to have possession of, because those things are detestable to the Lord. Say, for instance, you got a beautiful diamond necklace from somebody who you were having an affair with. When you repent of that affair, throw the necklace out. Don't keep trophies of your past sinful life. That's just one example. People tend to keep trophies, and that is a direct insult to God and his laws. If we've repented, then we need to throw the trophies away that go with that thing and be done with it. Don't go back to the past, and don't insult the God who saved you. And that concludes Deuteronomy chapter 7.